Welcome to Beyond Politics, broadcast on WKXL, available wherever you get your podcasts. Check out all of our podcasts at beyondpoliticspodcast.com. We hope that you have made yourself a subscriber. And please, if you're listening to our shows, leave us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help us out. In the 1992 presidential race, the Clinton campaign famously came up with what they called a haiku to summarize what they wanted to make everything about. It was the economy stupid, change versus more of the same, and don't forget healthcare. Well, now, 30 years later, that's also a really good summary of where we find ourselves as a country and as a region since we were broadcast out of New England. Over the last year, we've seen breathtaking change in our politics and in our daily lives. The number one issue on our minds is, of course, the economy, and our worries about it are far from stupid. And of course, we can't forget healthcare. Our health is front and center in our lives. Helping to navigate all of these concerns and connect our businesses, our cities, our educational institutions, and our nonprofits with our government in New England, that job falls to, to, to the New England Council. The New England Council is the nation's oldest regional business organization, but it's not just business. It's an alliance of businesses, academic and health institutions, and public and private organizations throughout New England formed to promote economic growth and a high quality of life in the New England region. Their members are a who's who of institutions throughout the region. I could read you the list over the next hour, but you're safe to assume that if you've heard of them, they're in the New England Council. And the president and chief executive officer of the New England Council is Jim Brett, who is with us today. Now, Jim spent 15 years as a member of the Massachusetts House of Representatives. He served as the chairman of the President's Committee for People with Intellectual Disabilities, and he's vice chairman to the National Council on Disability. In fact, his list of board positions, trusteeships, and awards could also occupy the rest of this hour. So let's just stipulate that he's in charge of everything in New England. I've known him for almost 20 years from my congressional staff days, and it's just an honor to have you, Jim, on Beyond Politics to talk the economy, change, healthcare, and everything else going on in New England and beyond. Welcome to Beyond Politics. Matt, thanks very much for that very, very, very kind introduction. Uh, I've enjoyed all of our conversations, and I've enjoyed the friendship with you over the years, and you know, we talked earlier, I can't believe you have now three children and uh, the oldest is 10. I believe that's probably the last time I think we were, get, we were <laughs> able to right. get together. It was about 10 years ago, but you've done well in your career and uh, I wish you much uh, success going forward. Well, thank you. That's a, that's a benediction that I take to heart and uh, is highly valuable. Look, for our listeners, outside right. New England, and there are mm -hmm. many, and they are growing, which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you may be wondering right now, okay, I, I can get why for radio listeners in New Hampshire or, you know, regional podcast listeners, I really want to focus on the New England Council, New England businesses mm -hmm. and academic institutions and all of that. But I, I would make the case that what you can present is really a snapshot of everything going on around the country, because you have such a comprehensive view of everything going on in the economy, healthcare, academics, and our society through your perch at the New England Council, mm -hmm. that it really is relevant to, to everyone. So let's just start by letting everyone know a little bit more of what the New England Council is. Now, you're coming up mm -hmm. on 25 years heading right. that institution that right. really is the nexus of everything going on throughout the region. Mm -hmm. What is the New England Council? What 
what role do you occupy? Mm-hmm. Well, let me just give you a little of the history of the New England Council. Back in 1925, the regional governors, the six New England governors, got together in a little town up in northern Maine called Poland Spring. And they got together with the CEOs at the time. And the CEOs at the time of 1925 were the textile, the shoe industry, uh, some manufacturing. And they said that we need to find ways of working together as a region because uh, we're losing some of our jobs and they're going down south. They're going down to the Carolinas and they're going down to the Carolinas with warmer climate, lower taxes. And they said, we need to find ways of working together. So the, shoe, you know, the, Texter, uh, the Dexter Shoe Company in Maine may say, our two United States senators are very supportive of our initiatives, our agenda, but our customers are in New Hampshire and Rhode Island. So we need those roads to be accessible. And all of a sudden the costume jewelry maker in Cranston, Rhode Island says, well, my customers are in New Hampshire. Those roads really need to be improved. And all of a sudden they put together a little agenda and they said, how about transportation as an important issue for New England, i.e. roads. And then the roads led to regional airports. And all of a sudden they said, well, you know what also is a big issue with us here in New Hampshire, high cost of energy to to supply the energy for our plants in 1925. And all of a sudden in Massachusetts, the people who had manufacturing said, yeah, high cost of energy, that's an issue with us. Now they added another issue to their agenda. And all of a sudden they had had, uh, maybe taxes, they may have had uh, uh, energy costs, transportation costs, And all of a sudden, they're putting together a New England agenda. And they said, if we can get the senators from New England and the members of Congress from New England to join together on our agenda on federal issues in particular, we'll have a voice, a strong voice. And, you know, today that that is that is the wisdom that has carried the New England Council all those years working together. Now, New England is maybe 13 million people, uh, a little over 13 million, 13 million and a half, maybe 5% of the nation's population. But we have 12% of the United States Senate. Now, you know, Vermont is no bigger than Boston uh, in population, but they get two United States senators. So we have 12 United States senators in New England. We have 12% of the United States Senate here in our backyard. Now I work with colleagues in California where there's you know, 39, 40 million people there and uh, they have two United States senators. We have 13 and a half million people in, in New England and we got 12 United States senators. What is important is to find issues that we all can work on together as a region. And that's what we do, the New England Council. Back in 1925, I'd say there were over 30, 35 members of of Congress going to Washington, advocating on behalf of their constituents. Today in the 2021, we have 21 members of Congress. And, uh, you know, there was talk that we may have lost a seat, but we may uh, be able to survive that. So we have 21 members of Congress. The point is we've lost a lot of voices as our advocates going to Washington over the years. Now more than ever, it was important to say to the members of Congress, you got to work together as a region. So when we go to Vermont and we have a breakfast event with Congressman Peter Welch, one congressman, the whole state, 
he will say to his constituents, it's very important that I advocate on your behalf, but I need to know, and you need to know, the chairman of Ways and Means, at least from Massachusetts. We need to know the chair of Appropriations Committee in order to get my bills through for my constituents in Vermont. Who was the chair of appropriate, a New Englander from New Haven, Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro. And then he may say, you know, we also need to know the chair of the Rules Committee. Oh, he happens to be from Massachusetts, Jim McGovern. The point is, we all have to work together to get things passed. No one member can do it alone. And all of the new members of Congress that are elected are all in on the idea of working as a region. Uh, Richie Neal, who is the chair of the, of the Ways and Means Committee, is also the dean uh, of the delegation. He was elected in 1978. So he meets with the members of the New England delegation, the 20 other members, every other month. And he will say, what are the issues that are important for New England? And they may say, well, quite frankly, it's, it's the transportation bill. We need some address on, you know, some funding for the roads or the bridges all over New England. So all of a sudden, he will make that a priority and to say that New England needs additional support and infrastructure. We will weigh in together as a region. And if they weigh in, weigh in as a region, it's pretty powerful. We have never been as powerful as we are today in the House of Representatives. As I just mentioned, one of the most powerful committees, Ways and Means. Who is the chair? Gentleman from Springfield, Massachusetts, Richie Neal. Also uh, equal in, in, st in stature and power, Appropriations Committee that appropriates all of the money from the legislation that's passed. And where is that person from? New Haven, Connecticut. Rosa DeLauro. Then you have the chairman of the rules committee who sets the time that will be spent on a piece of legislation, on whether amendments will be offered. He is the timekeeper, very important committee, Massachusetts, Jim McGovern, Worcester. And then you have all these other members of Congress who were subcommittee chairs, John Lawson in Hartford, Connecticut, subcommittee chair in Social Security under the Ways and Means Committee. I mean, the list goes on. You got Catherine Clark from Massachusetts, who's in leadership. You got David Cicilline, who is in the study group and in, in the Democratic study group in D.C. I mean, you, it's, 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 it's endless. I mean, you have here in New Hampshire, a young congressman, uh, Congressman Pappas, on the Transportation Committee, the Infrastructure and Transportation. That is key. And that's a, that's a significant accomplishment for him that his colleagues think so highly of him that they put him on that committee. That's gonna be a key committee. But the point is just about all of the members from the New England delegation are on key committees and uh, either the chair or subcommittee chairs or they're very influential in policy. So all in all, the, the stars are aligned right now in the House of Representatives and benefiting the, uh, the New England delegation, but it's, it's working together as a region. And that's what we spend all our time, all our energy. Uh, we, we, we don't endorse candidates. We don't have a PAC. We don't give money. What we are is a convener. We bring people together, Democrats and Republicans. We bring Bernie Sanders together with Chris Murphy and, and uh, Gene Shaheen with Elizabeth Warren. And uh, people in Washington marvel at how we're able to bring together Democrats and Republicans. 
because usually it's, you know, when you read about what's going on in Washington, how it's so partisan and so bitter, and yet we're able to bring people from the administration, whether it's the Trump administration, whether it's the Bush administration, whether it's the Clinton administration or the Obama, is because of our reputation as being the voice, the voice for New England and the business community and being nonpartisan. And it's, I think today, quite frankly, if we had no New England council, there would be business leaders in New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Rhode Island in particular, who would say, wait a minute, we may be located here, Liberty Mutual, the headquarters here, but we have a presence in New Hampshire, uh, you know, Fidelity, we are headquarters in Boston, but we have a presence in, in New Hampshire, our, uh, you know, Raytheon, we'll headquarters here, but we have a presence in Rhode Island, we have a presence and in uh, other New England states. And they would say, you know what, why aren't we meeting with colleagues from other parts of New England, even though we're only located here, headquarters, but we have presence in other states. We should have face-to-face -face contact with these elected officials to let them know who we are. That's the genesis of the New England Council. I would think many of them would say, thank God we have a New England Council. And uh, I would Absolutely. only- Yeah, I would only say one other example, many years ago, where they talked about uh, closing the military bases here in New England. And uh, Senator Ted Kennedy at the time said to the New England Council, we want you to convene all of the chambers, the BIAs uh, of New England in a meeting because the military, the, the, the base alignment commission uh, will be having a regional meeting uh, in Boston and I think it's important for the New England Council to bring everyone together and to let the, uh, the base commission members know how important the different bases were and, and uh, facilities throughout New England were to New England. And the Senator made the comment, only the New England Council can bring everyone together from New England because our members are in Maine, Connecticut, New Hampshire, all New England. And we did that and uh, it was very successful, but it was a crisis like that where people were worried about, well, are we gonna lose the shipyard in, 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 in Maine? Are we gonna lose you know, the air base in uh, Chicopee? Are we gonna lose some of our facility in Cape Cod? Are we gonna lose some of our uh, presence in Rhode Island? The New England Council brought every chamber, every BIA from New England together to say, this is our message and this is the way it should be coordinated. But the point is, if it weren't for the New England, who would bring everyone together? If you only had people in New Hampshire advocating, they'd be saying, well, that's New Hampshire. And, and if you only had people from Connecticut or Rhode Island advocating, uh, they'd say, well, that, we expect that because it's a uh, chamber of Rhode Island. You, the New England Council, you're advocating for all of New England. So that's what makes us unique. But it showed how effective we were and the results uh, prove it. Absolutely. I think that's a great encapsulation of something that I can say I, I worked for members of Congress from Maine, from Massachusetts, from New Hampshire in my time as a staffer. This is very real and this is very unique. There is no other region in the country that is so cohesive in terms of that voice that the New England Council brings together and the response you get from elected officials. I will tell you that it was very important when I worked for members of Congress from Maine, from New Hampshire, the, the, the nexus of, of greater representation in Massachusetts on the House side was really important to us. And the House folks took it very seriously 
And they, mm. they looked out for their colleagues in New England. This is a very real thing. But it also, I think what you pointed out earlier on is that there's not only this magnified representation through New England, but it's a not insignificant proportion of the American population, the American economy, American innovation happening in New England. So I wanted to get your perspective on that. From all of the conversations you have with your many, many members, what is the state of the economy? How are things looking today? I would say that uh, overall, uh, and because really of the, uh, the federal government coming in on the American Rescue Plan in particular, and given so much relief, whether it's to individuals and as well as to businesses, uh, that I think that we are coming out of the, uh, the COVID uh, uh, period where it was really touch and go for an awful lot of businesses. I think now, I, I, I like uh, what I'm hearing from my business leaders is that it, things are getting much better uh, for many of the different sectors uh, of the economy. I would say the areas that I am concerned about uh, are areas around tourism, restaurants. Uh, tourism is unfortunately much slower in coming back than other industries. And uh, there's been some relief given to them, but at the same time, uh, they're not seeing the attendance that they uh, had hoped for. Hotels, many of them uh, are still struggling doing well in the weekends, not doing as well during the week. Still, we have an awful lot of business uh, uh, travelers not, not uh, choosing to stay at hotels right now. Many of the hotels are averaging 40, 50% occupancy during the week. Again, weekends are a lot better. But hotels, I think, have been hit pretty hard and much slower coming back. Manchester, Boston Airport, I think, is doing a lot better uh, than they did during uh, 2020. Uh, you know, even here in, at Logan, uh, much better, but still not back to the, uh, the peak of the, of the 19th season, but getting there. But uh, that's, those are the areas that I'm, I'm more concerned about is the leisure, hotel, tourism. We also have a problem, uh, and you have it in New Hampshire. We have it all over New England. The signs are everywhere. Help wanted, help wanted signs are uh, constantly being uh, put in your face in all of the different restaurants. They just can't find enough employees to, uh, to fill the positions. We have 9 million job vacancies all over the country, 9 million. But uh, the signs are, are everywhere. A friend of mine just came back from Cape Cod. He was at Cape Cod, he was at Martha's Vineyard, and he said the signs were, were everywhere, but it also affected some of the businesses where they were closing much earlier and opening much later. And even some were closing one day a week only because they didn't have enough help. But overall, I think the, the, uh, the industries are doing much better. One area also that I was a little concerned about, still an issue, and that's the supply chain. The supply chain is affecting a lot of the manufacturing companies. And uh, there's still uh, a delay in getting their products from China. Because of the pandemic there. Obviously, throughout New England, there's an awful lot of manufacturing, innovation economy, and we're seeing an awful lot of reporting about supply chain challenges leading to disruption and also inflation. So are you seeing evidence of that? Are you picking that up from all the business leaders that you work with? In particular, uh, 
in the manufacturing uh, area where we're hearing that. The supply chain has really affected an awful lot of them in light of them trying to get their products from China because of the pandemic, the uh, shipping ports uh, have closed. Uh, some of their products uh, have been late in being delivered and some of their products have been shifted to COVID uh, materials where they are unable to get the amount of materials that they thought. So the limited amount that they were given are at an astronomical price. Uh, that added on to the last couple of months of inflation uh, has caused some real concerns with manufacturers throughout New England. So that is a problem uh, that uh, I'm hearing from some of our uh, manufacturers. So all in all, again, uh, the supply chain is a serious issue that we need to monitor. We need to be very careful about, uh, as I said earlier, the tourism, the hotel, the leisure. That's an area that's slowly coming back. But other areas are, uh, I think, are doing a lot better. But quite frankly, it's because of the federal government giving them a, uh, a, a good amount of, uh, of money uh, to, uh, to ease the pain that they've gone through. He, just in New Hampshire, I believe some 420 restaurants received a total of $90 million and, uh, under that uh, federal uh, restaurant revitalization fund. That helped an awful lot of them. Unfortunately, uh, there are over 550 that put their application in. So we still have some work to do in giving additional financial aid to those restaurants. But uh, all in all, I, I was reminded just recently that uh, the number of bankruptcy filings, again, in, in, in New Hampshire uh, last month was the lowest for any June on record. So that's an interesting uh, statistic. I believe there were 51 of them. So all in all, I, I do this. I do believe the signs are positive, but we also have to be mindful. There are a few industries that need additional help. Absolutely. I, that's, that's really interesting that you, you see this mix of, of, of data in the region that we're also seeing around the country, supply chain challenges. Obviously you alluded earlier to hiring challenges, but also some encouraging signs in terms of people filing for unemployment, still being at relatively low levels, and of course, bankruptcies. Let's switch the focus just very slightly because, you know, less people think that the New England Council only reflects business membership. You have significant not-for-profit membership right. and uh, higher ed and academic institution membership. Right. Um Looking at the higher ed picture, we're now approaching the start of the next academic year. Again, your membership list is sort of a who's who, and they're very well known. It's like that joke from This is Spinal Tap. Don't worry about Boston. It's not a big college town. You've got all the colleges and universities. Right. So you're yeah. talking to all these folks all mm -hmm. the time. What kinds of challenges are they dealing with? How is this, how is this upcoming college and university year shaping up? Well, I would say that if you were a college president, uh, this past year was probably the most stressful period to be college president, because at the time, this past year, you had students who were enrolling in September and maybe decided in October, November, I, I'm here in the dormitory here at New England College or St. Anselm, but I'm going home now and I'm going home because I think it's safer to go home. Well, uh, I want my money back from the room and the board and tuition. Well, that college already put 
together their budget for the year saying we have X amount of students, they have accepted, X amount are gonna be here for room and board. And all of a sudden they decided to leave. They lost an awful lot of revenue. Many of the colleges really struggled this past year to get through uh, the, uh, the academic year, really struggled. And uh, I'd like to think that going forward, they have a much better handle in September, knowing who's coming in, they're, they're, they're well positioned to, uh, to work on any issue revolving around COVID. Many colleges are already saying, quite frankly, to any student that's coming in uh, as a, uh, as a uh, undergraduate that you need to have proof that you took the, you know, the vaccine. And uh, so that is going to be something that uh, may not be a problem this year, which is great for colleges. Uh, but overall, again, many of the colleges got some, some relief last year uh, from the federal government, which was uh, needed. But I, I believe that this year will be less settling than it was last year for the colleges. But it's a challenge. We have an awful lot of private colleges in New England, an awful lot. And uh, you've already witnessed a few that have already you know, closed. We had a, a college here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts you know, Becker College in Worcester, they just closed this past year. They just didn't have the enrollment. The challenge uh, going forward is that it's a shallow pool of 18 year olders that are, you know, eligible for, you know, for uh, undergraduate seats in these colleges. So these colleges are gonna be competing uh, for all of these uh, 18 year olders, but it's a shallow pool. It's gonna be like this for the next several years. There's just the birth rate is, is very low and we're not getting as many 18 year old as applying for college. So the competitions can be key for the different colleges to attract these candidates uh, for their individual colleges. But all in all, I'd like to think going forward that they're in much better shape than they were in the past. You alluded to some of the help that businesses have gotten, certainly individuals have gotten through the COVID relief, especially the American Rescue Plan under President mm -hmm. Biden and the current Congress, and of course, the help for the colleges and universities. Now we've gotten to a point where there is obviously consideration in Congress of some focused investment in infrastructure, some focused investment more broadly in the care economy and uh, Americans' other needs under what mm -hmm. was called the American Families Plan. So there are certainly investments that Congress is still looking to make. From the business and not-for-profit and academic side of the equation in New England, as you look out for the next 18 months or so, mm -hmm. what further help do these institutions and businesses need? What are they looking for out of the federal government? Is it what the government is doing or is it other things? Well, it's a good question. Uh, as you know, there's going to be two pieces of infrastructure. One is the, is the hardcore definition that we all remember as infrastructure, roads and bridges and, and uh, the dredging of the harbors and, and broadband. And that'll be one piece. I think it's 1.2 trillion. And as we speak today, the, the, the bipartisan coalition of senators are getting together and hoping that they can announce something maybe later today or this evening that they have come to a compromise on that 1.2 trillion uh, that I think an awful lot of the businesses uh, will be very appreciative of because one of the problems that we've had in the past is traffic and congestion uh, that many of the uh, 
CEOs have complained about. Is there anything can be done to alleviate that? Well, uh, there'll be money in there for transit, high speed, as well as maybe some projects here in, in, in New England. I mean, you mentioned about Worcester to Providence. There's talk of doing some, some interesting uh, uh, commuting trains from Boston, Worcester, Springfield to eventually New Haven, uh, Hafford to New Haven. I mean, some really interesting uh, projects that may you may read about if this uh, infrastructure bill passes, which I think it will, the 1.2 trillion. Uh, that is needed. Um, we've talked about it for years and years, infrastructure, infrastructure. Uh, this is the time to do the bill and they will do it. And uh, I think, as I said, many of the businesses are pleased. The human infrastructure, the family infrastructure, that's a new term. Uh, and uh, there are an awful lot of things in there. And I think what we can expect to see is that uh, a debate down the road on how to finance all of that. That's three and a half trillion dollars, three and a half trillion. Some of it uh, is... Uh, Things like uh, free community colleges. Uh, some will be uh, free uh, uh, pre-K uh, daycare, a child care. Uh, so there's an awful lot in there that uh, people will say, uh, can we afford all of that? And how do we pay for it? And that remains to be seen. Do we, do we look at uh, the corporate tax, which is now at uh, 21%? Uh, it was as high as 35% just a few years ago, but when President Trump did his, uh, his tax cut in 2017, it went from 35% to 21% corporate tax. And uh, there are people now saying down the road, when we do this 3.5 trillion, uh, we ought to increase that corporate tax back up to whatever, 25, 27%. That'll be a battle. That'll be a battle with a lot of members on the Republican side. And there's also talk that if you're making uh, more than $400,000 a year, then maybe your taxes also will go up. Someone needs to pay for all of the, uh, all of the good programs that are in this $3.5 trillion human infrastructure package. That will, re that will be something that will be debated over the next several, I think several months. Uh, the, the concept, Everyone is embracing, saying that that makes sense. We ought to move along and debate debate this big issue, the three point five trillion. I will say this also: in the United States Congress, and you know it as well as I do, the margin. The Democrats are in charge of the of the House, but they're in charge by only four votes. That's all they have is a majority, four votes, and that's it. So. All you need is to have two or three say, uh, I don't really, I think this is too big, 3.5. I think it should be much lower. Uh, or there may be some members who will say, you know, back a few years ago, they put what they call the, the SALT, you know, the state and local uh, tax cap on states like Connecticut, Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, California. Uh, that cap should be lifted or adjusted. And if it's not in there, I'm not voting for it. And all of a sudden, this bill could fall apart, the 3.5 trillion, not the 1.2. I think the 1.2 is going to receive bipartisan support. Uh, 
uh, which is wonderful. That's what we strive for all the time, is to get bipartisan support and major pieces of legislation. And I think you're going to see that in the 1.2 trillion. This 3.5, the human, you know, human infrastructure bill, that's going to be a battle, but it's it's going to be a battle in the House. To me, that's where I, I would watch it because the margin is so thin. All you need is just a few saying either it's, you don't have what we want in there or they, or they watered it down. And uh, that's something to watch. But all in all, there's an awful lot of money being poured into the economy. And uh, Wall Street, I think, is, is enjoying it because they're seeing so much being poured in. Under the rescue plan, as I said, so many people receive some assistance in the restaurants and the, and the higher ed community, the nonprofit community receive some generous uh, support. But having said that, there are some people out there, not many yet, making the voice uh, heard on the debt. How are we going to pay for all this? We can't add to the debt. So we have to come up with a way of paying for it. And if we're going to pay for it, then are we raising taxes? And if we are raising taxes, the corporate tax or the estate tax or the personal income debt, that'll be a battle. And it's not something that's... uh, that uh, is, is, a, is a slam dunk, but it's something to watch. But all in all, uh, I, I think the, the business community loves to see bipartisan support. They don't want to see gridlock. They want to see bipartisan support. You will see it on this first round, the first infrastructure bill. Speaking of slam dunks and things to watch, as we record this, the Olympics are going on. Now, of course, right. You people may be listening to this on a podcast later in the summer or on a rebroadcast on WKXL, but as of right now, the Olympics are underway and people around the country may not remember quite as well as the people of New England, but back seven or eight years ago, there was a big push to bring the 2024 Olympic Games to Boston and there, it, it, the, the momentum behind it was pretty significant. Boston actually beat out Los Angeles. San Francisco and Washington DC to occupy the position of being the official US bid. But then there was a backlash. There was, there was pushback in polling people's support for bringing the Olympics to New England, to Boston, began to decline. There was a, a vision it wouldn't just be Boston, it would involve the greater New England region. And ultimately the city and the US Olympic Committee agreed in 2015, mutually, it's one of those mutual breakups thing. Oh, we, we both agreed to this. We're, we're not gonna move forward with this. So as you watch the Olympics now, do you feel wistful at all about that? Do you think that the city and the region made the right move, dodged a bullet this way, or maybe does it make you think, ah, what might've been? Yeah, I, well, I think we, Dodge the bullet. I think it was the right thing to do. Uh, I don't know if you've watched the the Olympics. It's uh, one of the lowest viewership that uh, we've had in the Olympics. Uh, people just aren't participating and watching. Maybe it's because there's no audience. I don't know. But the point is that uh, I thought it was a great exercise for Boston, though. It got people to work together to say, what are the pluses and what are the minuses? And uh, I thought it was a great uh, a great opportunity for the business community, the higher ed, the community leaders, all working together. And I was involved in some of those meetings. It was great to see all of the players at the table talking about the pluses in the minuses. And one of the minuses, quite frankly, was congestion, traffic. How do we navigate around to different venues? And that was a problem. 
But now it's been identified as a problem to say, wait a minute, okay, the Olympics is behind us. What are we doing about some of the issues that we uncovered as being problems? And one is is was the congestion, the traffic. So I think there'll be that'll resurface again once the uh, the first transportation bill is passed. So all in all, I, I think it was a a good exercise. Uh, but uh, in hindsight, it was probably the best thing that we didn't uh, have the opportunity to get it. Interesting that you mentioned that as sort of a model for working together, really thinking through pluses and minuses and coming to a mutual decision that now seven or eight years ago, and you were in the middle of this, people feel, you know what? We made a smart decision. That was the right move. You were saying a moment ago that that's really what business leaders, what academic leaders, what community leaders, because you also have city membership as part of the New England Council, that's right. really what they want to see. They want to see people sitting down and working through problems, questions like, how are we going to pay for things? Right. You know, We need to solve infrastructure problems. It looks like they're good prospects for that infrastructure bill. That's I'll tell you, really, I mean, when we look, when Oh, we go look ahead, back, please. When we look back at, at the, uh, the Olympic uh, meetings, I was always impressed in how the business community, the government uh, leaders, and the community leaders really came out of the woodwork. They all got engaged, whether they supported uh, it or not. It wasn't like, hey, I, I'll, I'll take a pass. Uh, it showed to me civic pride that people really, really stood up and said, you know what? I love this area. It'd be a great opportunity to bring it, but let's talk about it. Let, let's talk about the pluses in the minuses. And it, we had some wonderful conversations. Quite frankly, some of them were very candid. But the point is, there are very few areas I know of in the country where you could get that kind of support from the, the business community, as well as the government and the community leaders, all working together. It, it just said an awful lot about the people here in, in New England. That's exactly what I wanted to ask about, because that has been your role, a, a role you've occupied for a quarter century, a role the New England Council has occupied for nearly a century, is bringing people together to have those kinds of candid conversations, work it out, and come to a decision. That seems to me to be something that's gotten much, much harder to do in Washington. Over the course of your 25 years, and thinking back to the Olympic process versus where we are today in 2021, has that process gotten harder interfacing with leadership in Washington? Is it harder for our leadership, for our country to have a functional process like the kind you described with the Olympics? Well, unfortunately, the country is just divided and you see it in the elections and, you know, the presidential elections are now coming down to two or three states. <laughs> Everyone has made their mind up. You know, this is a red state. This is a blue state. And, uh, you know, you, you have people in, in Washington now that it's, I've never seen it as partisan, as an observer. I mean, you have people uh, on the Republican side that if you deviate at all against, you know, uh, some of their positions in you, you get a primary opponent and you could be out of a job. And then you have the other side that uh, are pushing people to be even more uh, are liberal. I, I, I kind of wish that we could just do what we do with New England, bring people together and just say, look, uh, we got to find common ground uh, on some of these issues. Uh, when I was in the legislature here, 
in Massachusetts, it was, you know, we had 160 members, 125 of them were Democrats and the rest were Republicans. But as chairman, we, I always felt that you were elected. And even though you're in the minority, when we do a piece of legislation, we have to be mindful that you were elected. You have to go back to your constituent. You have to get something out of the bill. And uh, we made it a point because we wanted to be part of the process. We wanted a bill to have bipartisan support. Did we need it? No. But it sends a message that you people are adults, you're working together. Unfortunately, down in, in Washington, um, major pieces of legislation, the tax cut that I just mentioned, 2017 passed by the Republicans, all Republicans, no Democrats, Affordable Care Act, all Democrats. Um, that's why I'm excited about this $1.2 trillion infrastructure that you'll at least see some Republican senators supporting it. I love legislation that has bipartisan support. It sends a message to, to uh, the public that people are working together, but it is getting harder and harder, no doubt about it. That's why people look at the New England Council and say, how is it that you're able to get people from the Trump administration to speak to the New England Council, knowing that you know, New England may not be uh, fertile ground for Republicans uh, running for president. That is because we're the voice for the community of New England, not the voice for the Democrats or for Republicans. And uh, you know, that's, that's what we take pride in. I always say, we're, we work on an issue hard and when they pass the bill, we do everything we can to give them credit, to give them the exposure. And we take a step back, but we want them to get the exposure and get all the credit that they deserve. And I think if you have that attitude that, look, there's credit for everyone and uh, there's no need to name call or anything like that, uh, I think you can get more, more done. And that's been our philosophy, uh, bringing people together, finding common ground, even on our issues. Sometimes some of our members may not be happy that we're not supporting. I'm talking about members of the New England Council may say, we want you to weigh in on this issue. If the majority of our members say, gee, I don't, I don't think we should be weighing in, then we have to go back and say, you know what, this is not the right position for us to take. And here's the reason why we have a dialogue, we have a discussion. And for the most part, all those years, it's worked. But we don't name call or anything like that. But the point is that, you know, I've always said that, that if members of Congress got to know people on the other side, I think if you get to know them, there's less occasions to name call them because you develop a relationship, a friendship. You know, they're not, you're, they're not the enemy. They may be, you know, your worthy colleague uh, on the other side. But the point is that we're, they're all there to do the right thing. But the point is that it's very hard to get a civil conversation right now. No doubt about it. But the country is evenly divided. And that is why. Jim Brett is the president and CEO of the New England Council. And it's been absolutely a pleasure to have you on the show and to continue what's now been almost a 20-year conversation uh, about what the New England Council does, the important role it fulfills. And I think you guys really are a great lens, not only to understand what's going on in New England, but around the country. So Jim, thank you so much. This is Beyond Politics. I'm Matt Robeson. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. 